Did I tell you I have a brand new grandson? I've got lots of pictures. Check with me afterwards. Everett Stephen Frazier was born on Tuesday, and Sue and I are, of course, in a little bit of heaven right now as we reflect on, on that little baby come into the world. Um, we have been concerned because, I mean, how much love is there to share? But we know that God always multiplies love where it is applied. Ruby, who is three and a half years old, is the big sister of Everett, who will uh, be growing up in that same household. And it has been our concern that Ruby might feel a little bit displaced. And so we've been kind of coaching her through this. Um, I told her this past week, I I said, Ruby, you will always be first. Uh, In fact, you were the one who made me into a granddaddy. And uh, which was the truth. She was our first grandchild. But she paused for a moment and uh, she looked at me and she said, God did that, Papa. (laughs) And uh, I thought wisdom from the mouths of babes. Uh, How else could an answer like that come from a child? Yet she would have been immersed in faith from the earliest days. Her mother and dad not only love her, but they love God. And you have uh, replicated this in your families as well. Um, And they see it. Children pick up on this. It is not something that is difficult. In fact, all who are near those who love God uh, begin to understand and to reflect also that love. And this is a beautiful, a beautiful thing about the way in which mothering goes on is that it is not confined in any way uh, to a small group of persons that we might call family, but it reaches into the extended community. And we have opportunity upon opportunity uh, to love God and to love each other. Jonathan Edwards, American revivalist preacher of years past, um, who really was a contemporary of the same century of of, uh, preaching as John Wesley, Um, he said, every Christian family ought to be, as it were, a little church consecrated to Christ. A little church consecrated to Christ. That's an interesting thought. I don't know if uh, you have tried to live that out in your life, uh, but I know some people have. They have thought about their family as being this microcosm of the church in some way. And in fact, the great opportunity of the family to share Christ is amazing. I've heard Jared Seminan, our our director of student ministries here, uh, say over and over again in his uh, parents' meetings that he has for the youth program, he will say to them, I want you to realize that I will have a maximum of maybe 50 to 60 contact hours with your uh, with your uh, child, uh, with your teenager uh, here over the course of this next year. That basically is what it amounts to. You will have thousands of hours of contact with them. Your role in their life is far more important than my role in their life. And this idea of the domestic church is rising to the occasion is that do we accept this role? Um, Even those among us who are not parents to children biologically have this same responsibility in order to embed Christ in our community, to take on the responsibility of mothering and fathering those that are nearby us that God puts in our way. 
It takes a village, but it starts in the home. I love the family proverb that goes, a child living with criticism learns to condemn. A child living with hostility learns to fight. A child living with shame learns to feel guilty. But a child living with tolerance learns patience. A child living with encouragement learns confidence. A child surrounded by love learns to love. And this can be a pattern that we adopt. Uh, It's interesting to think about what eagles do when they are uh, birthing their newborns high up in the hills or even uh, in the tall pine trees that stretch across the south. I've been fascinating to see on occasion eagles flying in the sky. They build these enormous nests and deposit the eggs when the eggs hatch. As I understand, these little eaglets will grow up and put feathers on and then they sit there perched for more and more food until that time comes where the parent knows, even if the child does not know, the eaglet needs to get out of the nest, right? And so if the eaglet hasn't figured that out, the parent will try to help them figure it out by actually pushing them out of the nest. Now, it may be that that eaglet had never even thought that it was time to learn to fly. But he goes sailing through the air. Sailing is not the word to use for what the spectacle is. They are falling from this high spot. But the parent, the eagle, comes below that eaglet. And before they will hit the ground, they will lift them on the wings and give them as many chances as are necessary to gain wings themselves and begin to fly. I don't know whether that's accurate, but it is a great story, isn't it? (laughs) I've never seen it happen. I would love to see it happen. The thing that is incredible is that the story goes on because This is so innate in the behavior of these adult eagles to lift up their newborn that other birds that are in the sky, in the vicinity, will also be lifted up by the eagles who see them and think, oh, these are ones that need our help too. You see what I'm getting at here? that the responsibilities that we're given as family have such an important role for the community around us. And if you and I are loving God, there is no way that this will not spill into our children and into the community in which we live. I was in Walmart and I overheard a mother Now, granted, that child was probably giving her all kinds of difficulty. But I heard the mother say to the father who had just whacked the child on the rump. She said to him, hit him harder. You didn't hit him hard enough. Now, some of you are thinking, well, spare the rod. Spoil the child. 
Others of you are thinking, this is not a good way to discipline at all. What is the pattern in that home? I would be very interested to know what that child is having to bear. The structure of discipline must be filled with love, not with force in order to get its way and to move a child in the right manner. There is precious little scripture on Jesus's early years, but I can guarantee you that Mary had a heart of love for him. She loved him. She had been chosen for the responsibility and not only of bearing this child, but of caring for this child across the years. It says at the end of this passage, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in years. And it may be hard for us to wrap around that idea that Mary in some way was the caretaker and the teacher of Jesus, the son of God who is the teacher of us all. But there was a mysterious thing that was going on in the birth narrative of Mary's being chosen. When the shepherds came from the hillside and said they had heard the angels singing and that there was a child born, when they told this to her, it says in the scripture, she pondered these things in her heart her brow was furrowed. She began to wonder what's going on here. And in this passage, did you hear the same thing? It says that when these parents who were so troubled, they had been for the celebrations of Passover, they left town assuming that he was with family and friends in the company as they returned to Nazareth. And when he was not there, when they came to find him and saw him in the temple... And they saw how he was asking questions that were far beyond his years, far beyond even the understandings of those that were there in the temple. He was raising concerns, not in, in a way in which to pitch himself as being in opposition, but just making them think. Mary treasured this in her heart. Jesus was immersed in conversation and he was immersed in Mary's love and respect for him. Who was doing the teaching in this home? Well, we all know that Jesus was doing the teaching as well as Mary. Mary was teaching Jesus. Jesus was teaching Mary. Isn't that the way that it always is? Regardless of the child that you may be loving and mentoring. I remember when Margaret, our daughter, our first daughter, was three herself, that Sue and I were busy preparing supper. One of us had left the refrigerator door open. We had our mind on getting supper on the table when all of a sudden we realized that Margaret was standing in front of the refrigerator and looking at the shelves of food that she saw there, she began to say, God is good, God is great. Let us thank him for our food. We weren't there yet. We were busy. We would get there at the table, but we weren't there yet. But that was her 
outlook on all that was happening in relationship to food. How is it with you? What is it that people are picking up on? The children, of course, in your family, but what are others picking up on in your attitude toward the world around you? I was in the grocery store. Two experiences on that same occasion. One mother who was in the checkout line, her daughter had worn her out with the number of questions and comments. She was just talking constantly. And that mother had disconnected. Have you ever been there? The mother was, I could tell, the mother was saying, verbally she was saying, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, that's right, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. She didn't hear a thing that child was saying. The child just going right on. Over in the produce department, I ran into another mother who had her child in the buggy. She wasn't going to miss the opportunity. As they approached all of those vegetables and those beautifully colored fruits, she said, oh, look at the orange, orange. And then she howled with laughter for this little toddler And the toddler looked at it and she got the joke and she began to laugh too. Oh yeah, an orange, orange. And the mother looked at her in the eyes and said, can you find a yellow fruit? And the child pointed over at the bananas and the mother said, why, of course that's a yellow fruit. Can you tell me what it is? And lo and behold, all through the produce section, they were exploring the fruit one after the other, the beautiful colors. And there they were hanging their heads over the fruit when all of a sudden that mist machine came on. <laughs> the mother did not break stride. I heard the mother say, oh, it's raining, it's raining. Look at the beautiful rain. They were getting drenched, you know. But it was an exciting thing to see a parent who is so involved, so present with that child. How present do you think Mary was for Jesus? Don't you know that this was going on? Don't you know? Can't you understand why the Catholic Church venerates Mary in this way? How you and I have lost out by not thinking that Mary's role was absolutely crucial. I mean, she was not God, but she was... (laughs) I don't even know how to say it, but she was the mother of God. In some ways, she was literally the mother of God, guiding Jesus into being who he was always destined to be, which was more than Mary could ever be. The mystery of it all. I remember when I was a child, we were living in Macon. It was at that point where I had just begun school My mother was driving uh, the three of us to school. My brother and myself, my little sister was too young for school at that time, but she had the three of us in the car. It was early in the morning and we were in this, this old 57 Dodge, I think it was. It was a big clunker of a machine, you know. We were going down Bass Road, headed toward an intersection. Bass was not that busy, but Forsyth Road was very busy. And there were always uh, trucks that were coming and going on that road. When Mother 
got to the crest of the hill, she put on brakes, but there were no brakes. And so we were rolling toward that dangerous intersection and she was frightened to death. At that point, she was not going at any great speed, but any car going at that speed, it was not possible to do what she got it in her mind that she was going to do. She opened the door, she planted her foot on the asphalt in order to stop that car. It was, it was an experience that I will never forget. Um, mother, of course, was not successful at stopping the car that way. She lost her shoe. She bloodied the bottom of her foot. And when she drew her leg back in, her stockings had rolled up halfway on her leg, of course, you know. She then went to plan B, which was to move that car to the edge of the road at a place where there was actually a drop-off that could have rolled us, but fortunately was able to grind the car to a stop on the edge as we balanced there. It was harrowing, to say the least, more so for her than for the children. We were not taking everything in. But I will never forget my mother's sacrificial act of sticking her foot out like Superwoman to stop that car. Now, is it possible? Is it possible that this is exactly what was going on in that family? I'm not saying that Jesus learned sacrifice from Mary in order that he gave his life for the world. But is it possible that in the context of that family, sacrifice was just the way it was? And that Jesus is teaching Mary and Mary's teaching Jesus, it didn't matter anymore because this is just the way it was. John Wesley used to tell people, I learned more about Christianity from my mother than from all the theologians in England, which reminds me of that much quoted Irish proverb, an ounce of mother is worth a pound of clergy, which is one thing for you all to think about, but it's another thing to say that in a clergy family, <laughs> you know, mama has the rules and mama does the loving better than so many. And it's interesting even still to think that some of the mamas now are clergy for which we can praise God. A new set of Beatitudes. Blessed are families who see beauty in all things, for their world will be a place of grace and wonder. Blessed are families who teach the power of truth, for they shall find wisdom and discernment. Blessed are families who sow seeds of love, for they shall reap joy for themselves and others. In the Old Testament, we read of the Ten Commandments, one of which is honor your father and your mother. That's a great commandment that we should never lose sight of. But in the Apostle Paul's letter he takes that and inverts it. Do you know that? In Ephesians chapter six, he says, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. 
This is the first commandment with a promise so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. But then he goes on to say, and fathers, and here we really should better say, and parents, parents do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You and I have a responsibility. We have a responsibility with each other to love each other into the kingdom of God. And I would ask you, are you doing that? Is that a part of what you have given yourself over to? Do you love Christ to the point that everybody around you will be affected, especially those closest to you, but everybody will be affected. God bless us as we make our choices. And I want to get you to think right now, what is a choice that you could make today that would make Christ's presence even more real in your family and thereby in the world's.